Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. And on the first day of every single week, we intentionally remember his death upon the cross. Every moment of our lives as Christians is to be an occasion to rejoice that that he triumphed even over the grave itself. And we do well in doing this. And yet I think sometimes in our haste to sprint to the cross and to get right to the empty grave, we can rush past a world of beauty that is going completely unnoticed to us. And all of these things are leading up to the cross and to his empty grave. And so what I want to do every week until Easter is I just want to slow down a little bit. And rather than sprinting right to the empty tomb, I want to tiptoe through those 72 hours from the cross to his grave. And I want us to experience this through the apostles' eyes. Because as I'm experiencing, when we learn how to do this, we begin to see the cross and we begin to celebrate the resurrection with a first century spirit. And so the title of this new series of lessons, these these next four Sundays, is Bombshells of Holy Week. A bombshell is a surprise that is so startling and so shocking that it paralyzes and it disorients whoever learns of it. And I'm sure that each one of us can remember many bombshells that that we have encountered throughout our lifetimes. You know what I'm talking about where we're just going about our everyday life and, and all of a sudden we are absolutely blindsided by something. And all of a sudden it feels as if the earth is no longer spinning and turning. It's something that we will forever remember exactly where we were as we learned of it. As it unfolded before our eyes, we knew that history was being made. It was something that would cause us to even strike up a conversation with with a person we didn't even know who happened to be near us as we heard about it where the only words in our our vocabulary then became, what? And we lost track of the number of times that we had said, I can't believe this is really happening. And so as we come to Matthew chapter 26 this morning, we're going to see this morning as well as every week leading up to Easter, is that in these in these few days, in these 72 hours that eventually lead to the cross and to his resurrection, there are so many bombshells that are happening in Jerusalem. And so as we come to Matthew chapter 26, starting in um, a 47th verse, Matthew 26, verse 47, this, of course, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And so verse 47 of Matthew 26 says that while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying that the one whom I will kiss, he is the man, seize him. And so he came up to Jesus at once and he said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. So just moments ago, Jesus has been praying pretty much all by himself in Gethsemane because his now 11 apostles had been asleep in their weariness and in their anxiety. And yet I can assure you, though, that now this is going to be the last sleep that these men are going to get for a number of days, probably. And that's because they are now going into a sleepless night of hysteria with this specific thought. What that thought was is that Jesus was arrested. Jesus was just arrested. And it wasn't just merely that Jesus has now been arrested, but Jesus is now in, in the custody of his enemies who wanted to destroy him. I mean, his enemies, the religious leaders of the time, the clergymen of Jerusalem, scribes and Pharisees and chief priests, elders of the people, they have been salivating for this moment for the last three years. As we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, what we see is that earlier on, this is what they have been after all this time. John, chapter 7, and I want to read in um, there, John 7, verse 32 where it says that as the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering all of these things about Jesus, the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers in order that they might arrest Jesus. One chapter later in, in John chapter 8, verse 20, what it says there is that all of these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. At the end of chapter 8, it says that they were lifting up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself, and he went out of their midst in the temple. As we fast forward into John chapter 10, verse 39, once again what we find is, is where it says, again, they had sought to arrest Jesus, and yet he escaped from out of their hands. Well, as we come into John chapter 11 now, now um, Passover time is quickly approaching. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from his grave. And yet in John chapter 11, at the very end of John chapter 11, verse 57, says that now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, that they should let them know so that they might arrest him. And now as we return to the Gospel of Matthew, now it is that last week before Jesus will be arrested and go to the cross. And after he has cleared out 
um, a temple of the merchants, he began speaking in the temple courts a little bit later on. And he tells a parable, and the Pharisees know it, and everybody who is gathered around listening to Jesus knows it, that Jesus is speaking about Pharisees and scribes and the elders of the people. They know that he is revealing our hypocrisy and we cannot, we cannot deny it. He is right. But he is making us lose our face here. And, and it says that they are so enraged at Jesus that they want to arrest him right there on the spot in the temple, but they're afraid to because of the crowds. Then at last, in Matthew chapter 26, their rage has now reached a boiling point. Where Matthew chapter 26 and verse 3 says that then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. It would be kind of like if our House of Representatives or um, a Senate were to gather together, but, but there's no cameras allowed because we're going to be discussing some very shady stuff. So they're having a closed door, very secretive, very corrupt meeting that, that we're going to play um, a dirty now. We're going to take him by stealth and we're going to murder him. We're going, to, we're going to put out a mob hit on him. We're going to assassinate Jesus. And so what we see again and again and again in the Gospels is, is that they wanted to arrest him, but they couldn't. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but he slipped out of their midst somehow. Is that they had tried to arrest him, but his hour had not yet come. And yet notice, though, at the very end of Matthew chapter 26, now in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of this has now suddenly changed. Or there's now a difference that is very drastic now. As they come to arrest Jesus in the Garden, notice that for a first time, Jesus does not slip away from their midst. Jesus does not hide himself or sneak away so that they can't capture him. He doesn't, my time has not yet come them. This time they get Jesus. On this evening, his hour had come. Or as Luke records in his gospel, what, what he says to his arresting captors is this. Where he says, this is your hour, he says. It is the hour of darkness. Now, I mean, to the religious elite, to the hypocrites, and to the clergymen, this was not a bombshell. This was the least surprising thing in the world to these guys. Because to them, in, in their eyes, Jesus was public enemy number one. But to all of those who had ears with which to hear the kingdom, to all of those whose hearts were wide open for what God was, was accomplishing through his Son. For all of those beautiful women who had ministered to Jesus and had given him money in support of his ministry. For his now eleven apostles. It was as if the earth had no longer turned or spun. And I mean, these guys are paralyzed and disoriented with, with confusion and with sorrow and with anxiety. 
and the only word in their vocabulary that evening became, what? I mean, Jesus was going to be our king. We saw Jesus walk on water and turn it into wine. What do you mean he was just arrested? We did everything that we could, but he was arrested. And it's like, I can't believe that that just happened tonight. And you know, there were many things that led to his arrest that evening in the garden. I think the most obvious reason and factor behind his arrest, of course, was the greed and the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Where there has been a memo put out in Jerusalem that if anybody sees Jesus, let us know because we're going to arrest him. Well, Jesus has just washed Judas's feet. His feet are literally clean as he walks to the Sanhedrin and he knocks on the door steps inside, he kind of looks around a little bit and says, I heard that you guys were looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he looks at them and with a grin on his face, he says, I know where he is. What's in it for me? If you give me the right price, as a matter of fact, I can tell you where he's going to be one hour from now. And let's just understand this about Judas. Is that he has an entire walk from the upper room all the way to Jesus' enemies to really think about what he is about to do. He understands that, that very soon he's going to be holding blood money in his hands. And the blood that that money is going to, in fact, buy is the blood of his rabbi, Jesus Christ. And now as he is standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, though, I mean, is he hearing the words that are coming out of his mouth to these Roman officers? Again, I just want to read verse 48, where, where he says that the one who I will kiss is the man. Seize him when I kiss him. As he looks in the face of Jesus, who has done nothing but, but love him, and to guide him. He looks in his face and he says, Rabbi, hail Rabbi. And he kisses him. He gives him a salutation of a friend and, and of a brother. It is a greeting of love. And so yes, greed caused Judas to, to have Jesus arrested, and clearly, but I think there's a lot more to Judas, though, that might meet our eye, though. I think mainly at the root of his of really of his problems and of the arrest of Jesus, it's not so much greed as it is that he's got, or, or is rather that, that he is living for the wrong kingdom. Jesus is trying to impress the kingdom of heaven upon his, his apostles, but, but all, all these guys care about is the kingdom of Jerusalem. And there is reason to really believe that, that how prior before he was one of Jesus' followers, that, that he was a member of a radical extremist group. And this radical extremist group wanted nothing else than to shed Roman blood and to get violent with them and to kick them out of their country forever. 
what if Judas is really trying to force Jesus into being this conquering king that he wants him to be? What if what is going through Judas's mind is, is that I've got a win-win scenario here. I'm going to put Jesus in a situation where he's going to retaliate. He's going to fight back and he's going to all of a sudden start a um, very violent and a bloody Jewish revolution. And I'm going to get paid to do it. And yet I don't think that Judas is alone in this. It can be so easy taking Jesus and transforming him into our likeness rather than letting Jesus take us and transform us into his likeness. And you see, whenever we try to, to lay hold and to seize Jesus by force and to strong arm him into thinking the exact way um, um, as we do, and to being just, just as violent and retributive as we can be, we, in essence, walk up to Jesus and say, Hail, Rabbi, and we kiss him on the cheek. And yet it wasn't just Judas, though, who had the wrong idea of a kingdom. It's also the Apostle Peter. Because as Jesus is being arrested, we all know what he does. He whips out his sword and he says, Jesus needs me to come to his defense in a violent way. He cuts a guy's ear off and Jesus says, enough of this. This is not the kind of kingdom or the kind of king that I am. Put your sword away. And yet in our text in Matthew chapter 26, though, notice what he says in verse 53. Where he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once Send me more than 12 legions of angels. At times we like to sing that he could have sent um, 10,000 angels. But what Jesus is saying here is more than 12 legions of angels. One legion had 6,000 troops. We remember how in Old Testament scripture on one occasion... One angel wipes out 185,000 Assyrians. Well, what Jesus is describing here is, I mean, this is enough angelic firepower to wipe out the entire galaxy. And so what Jesus is saying to, to the um, Apostle Peter is, Peter, listen, I don't need your sword to defend me. I've got this. And it's on his mind. I mean, if I wanted to right now, I could put an end to all of this. And so it's the wrong understanding of a kingdom that, that has Jesus arrested, but it's also the bruised egos of his enemies. There's a Roman governor who's very soon going to stand before Jesus, and he knows that as soon as he is accused, that the only reason why Jesus stands before him it's because his accusers have envy towards him. Now, for the past three years, everybody's been, been hanging on every word Jesus has said, but it's not hanging on every word that, that they have been saying. And this really, really, really gets under their, their skin and bothers them. Especially as Jesus stands up in the temple and, and he speaks about them in a parable and he exposes their hypocrisy. And so it was bruised egos that caused Jesus to be arrested. But, but ultimately what they're trying to do 
is they're trying to destroy his reputation. Now, to be arrested in this ancient world in this manner, this, this was a disgrace that you would bring upon your, your whole entire family tree. It's kind of like if we were to watch the show Cops right now and there had been um, a deadbeat husband or a person who was under the influence of, of um, crystal meth who was being dragged out of a house in handcuffs and thrown into a squad car. You can imagine that that would bring a lot of um, shame and disgrace upon his parents, upon his, his spouse. And you see, this is what they're trying to inflict upon Jesus where they want maximum humiliation. And they're after, really, what, what this is, is character assassination. It was corruption that got Jesus arrested as well. Now notice that they are not arresting Jesus in broad daylight, are they? But rather what they're doing is waiting until it's late at night. When most people have gone and called it a night, and they're, they're home with their families in bed. This is when torches and lanterns have to be lit. And it's very interesting, as Matthew uses that word, as it says that they had seized Jesus, what this word seize means is to get very rough with something. It means that you are, are um, taking something captive in a very fierce way. And yet here's where this gets interesting. It's the exact same word that we hear Jesus using as he speaks about Pharisees. As he says that they have left the commandments of God so that they can hold or be held captive by the traditions and by the, religi or, or, and by the religiosity of men. And I mean, there are so many ways that we can be under custody in this world. You see, Jesus is far less held captive than the scribes and the Pharisees are. They are far more in prison than Jesus is going to be. And yet I think the greatest reason, though, really, really the greatest factor that, that led to his arrest of all, though, is that love had arrested Jesus. Because again, notice how as they are laying hold of Jesus, Jesus is not running away from anybody. He's not getting all, all defensive. He isn't backing down or retaliating. But, but rather what he does is, he looks into the face of his accuser who is in the midst of betraying him. And what does he call Judas? He looks at him and says, friend. Do what you have come to do. As we read later on in verse 55, notice what he says to this, this crowd of hundreds of people, where it says that, he says, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs in order to capture me? Day after day I have sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. And yet all of this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus says that I'm going to allow myself to be arrested because the scriptures must be fulfilled. In other words, I've got a world to, to love and to save right now. 
I'm going to die for every sin that's ever been committed. And that's because God is a God who keeps every promise that he makes to us. See, Jesus was arrested by all of the darkness that imprisons the hearts of men. But more than anything, Jesus was arrested so that he could pay our bail. To bust us loose out of the dungeon of the evil one. And to heal all of the spiritual sickness and cancer that is within our souls. And so Jesus was arrested, yes, but, but once he has been arrested, lastly what we see this morning is that then Jesus was pronounced guilty. And that is a bombshell to me because he never committed a sin. And yet again in the eyes of his accusers and of his enemies, this, this was what they were going to do all along. And yet, beautiful thing about his conviction, though, is that it is really irrelevant what human judges rule in human courts, isn't it? There's been a lot of people who have been arrested and thrown into jail, even executed, and they were living righteously for God. They were doing good in this world. How many people have we seen arrested because they... We're, we're actually living out justice in the world. Women like Rosa Parks. Men like Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis. Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit on a stage after she was warned, do not sing that song. She said, no, I'm going to sing that song with every fiber of my being. I'm going to make you feel lynching. And I'm going to give it a melody right now. We think about all the prophets who preceded Jesus who were violently bludgeoned to death simply because they told the truth. We think about John the Baptist being thrown into jail because he mouthed off to the king and told him the truth. We remember how all but one of the apostles had been violently murdered because they were turning the world upside down with the Sermon on the Mount. How the Early men and women who were Christians were fed to lions, thrown into jail, horrible things happening to them. Men and women who the world was not worthy of. And now as Jesus stands in this illegal courtroom, and all these false witnesses become um, coming forward accusing him falsely and just lying through their teeth about Jesus. No, this is not law and order, is it? This is not justice. This is a midnight coup. This is an attempt to prevent Jesus from becoming king. Yeah, well, good luck with that. He's still reigning 2,000 years later, praise God. I conclude with these words in Matthew chapter 26. He's now standing before Caiaphas the high priest. False witnesses are, are lying about him. And finally, in verse 64, Jesus says to him, you, you, he says, you've said so. And he knows exactly what's going to happen as he says this, this very next line. But again, he's got a cross to go to. Where he says, but I tell you that from now on, you will see the Son of Man 
seated on the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard the blasphemy for yourselves. Verse 66, he looks at all of these leaders and he says, What is your judgment? And he knows what that judgment is. He knew it three years prior. He deserves death. So they spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is that who just struck you? And I love how a minister whose name is Brian Zahn, how he describes Jesus. As he says that the Jesus of the Gospels is far more suited for an FBI wanted poster than he is to be a poster child for American sensibilities. It's so easy to follow a Jesus who is not the real Jesus. We've got to get this Alexander the Great toxic masculinity Jesus out of our minds because that's not Jesus. We've got to leave this Jesus of Mayberry that we have made in our own image and follow Jesus of Nazareth. That's because this Jesus and his early followers were willing to bleed for this. They were willing to be slandered and to lose property and possession and freedoms and even their own beating hearts. Simply because they refused to live in this us-against-them world and to love neighbor as self. Simply because they replaced living in the violence of the flesh to living with the peace of the Holy Spirit. Simply because they let go of all of this religious pomposity in order to lay hold of the eternal life and the peace and let Jesus seize our hearts and to transform them to look like him. And when we recognize his Sermon on the Mount as our Bill of Rights, that's going to be a threat and a danger in a lot of religious environments we step into today. And as we close this morning, I just want to ask us, is there anything that has us captive this morning? It might be something that you have no control over. It might be tragedy that, that has you feeling as if you are languishing inside a dungeon. It might be a friend that you just lost. It might be a million things, but maybe it is a struggle of yours that, that you have prayed, God, help me stop living in this way, but you just keep going back to it. And you say, God, please have mercy on me. I was listening to the radio yesterday afternoon and a choir came on the air and they were singing the flight of the cherubim. And as soon as they began singing, it felt like I was in the basement praying in an empty room with a candle lit. As what went through my mind was everything that they're all worked up over on CNN, on Fox, on Twitter, all of these circumstances in my life, all of these dangers, worries, and woes. 
It feels as if my soul and my mind are being taken far away from everything in this world right now. And there's a day coming where all of the stuff everybody's freaking out about on television, it's going to be ancient history and they're going to be freaking out about something else. All these worries and soul-crushing tragedies, Someday I'm going to be able to look back on that and see how much God helped me grow. And one day we're going to open up our eyes and what's going to be looking back at us is the face of God. 